here in a minute because it's really pertinent to what I'm going to be talking about today. Yeah, I don't know how many how many of you are familiar with Sam the Eagle from the Muppets. Yes, yeah, yeah. Most of you, a lot of you, have seen Sam the Eagle. Sam the Eagle is Mr. Ultimate Patriot to the point that he's almost a parody of himself. He goes so overboard in it. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today and the boundaries we need to set in our lives as far as, as, as what we believe in and, and, and how we portray our opinions to others. But before we do that, let's just take a moment and let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for this day and this opportunity to come and bring your word. Lord, just pray that I'll be filled with your spirit, uh, that, that the folks in the audience will be willing to listen, Lord, to will will help them to understand the message that I have today, Lord, and just pray that you'll uh, also bless us, and we thank you for our nation, the things that it means to us, God, and uh, uh, the freedom that we have to worship this morning, Lord. I know there are other places that don't have this freedom, and Lord, we just thank you so much for that, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, this weekend, we're celebrating the freedom we experience in this country and our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How many of you have heard that quite a bit this week? It's 4th of July. There's been a lot of other things going on in our country. So you're going to see a lot of that going on this week. We're, we're talking about our, our rights to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, the American dream, the American way, all those many things. And, and I've heard it a lot this week because of the, the current political situation and all the things that are going on. We've heard a lot about that and our individual rights and things. But I'm going to tell you, I've seen more evil released on our nation in recent weeks and months than any time I can remember. Would y'all agree with that? Now, before you agree, you might want to be careful because you know I'm a tricky preacher. I will, I will lead you down a path and, and, and like put you out on a limb and then cut it off out from under you. Yeah, the evil that's been put in our path, I feel like, is not coming from the Supreme Court decision on gay marriage or Confederate flags, but how Satan has deceived Christians into making stupid responses to both. Oh, we get an amen from Don. Have you not seen some of the most atrocious, ignorant things in your life on Facebook this week? How many will agree with that one? Craziness. Things that make us as Christians look dumb. Here we're supposed to be representing Jesus Christ to our world. And we've made stupid responses about stuff. Not thinking about anybody's feelings but our own. Not even thinking what it means to the world around us. That there's lost and dying people that need to know Christ. But hey, both sides have made mistakes. The politicians have thought that they can legislate away hatred and racism, and Christians think that morality is a matter of legislation. Is that not true? Do you think we could ever make any law that makes anyone be like Christ? Is that anywhere in the Scriptures that tells us that? I've never seen that. You know, Jesus was very unpolitical. He didn't go and say, well, you know what? I think you need to legislate that Sunday's a day of rest and you will have what we will call blue laws, and you can't wear, and you have to wear a certain color of toga that day. And he didn't do that. He wasn't concerned about the politics of his day because he knew he had a bigger picture, and he was representing something that was bigger than the world. But you know, it is so funny, and this is what I hate: this that we as Christians have been made to look like the laughing stocks of our country lately. We are portrayed as backwards rednecks who don't know anything because of the people on Duck Dynasty. Everybody thinks that Phil Robertson is our leader now. He's replaced Billy Graham as the face of Southern Christianity. It's not Billy Graham and all the great things and things that he led to the Lord. It's what Phil Robertson believes because he's on TV. And if you're on TV, hey, you've got it together and you know these things. But we have come up against such a, such a headwind against us as Christians because some of the, the own things we're saying, you know, this week, one of the topics has been whether homosexuals should be allowed to marry in our country, okay? I think, and in case you haven't heard it from this stage before, but we've said it many times, we do not agree at Journey that that is God's plan for marriage, okay? That doesn't mean we hate people that have gone down that path either. And they're just as welcome here as anyone else to come and worship with. But you have to balance this. You have to look at this. Now, do you think it would help if we made a law and said, you can't do that? Would that change anybody's mind? No. Here, here's the thing that, and this just floors me because we get so upset about it, and rightfully so. Who do you think is one of the biggest enemies of Christianity and our way of life in the world at this point in time? Atheists? Well, that, that could be an answer. I'm thinking of a, a specific, very ruthless political military organization. Who? ISIS, yes. 
Yeah, Leslie was going to say Donald Trump. The the Donald, yes. That that could be it also. But ISIS, we see ISIS as being a threat all over the world, not only Christians, but to freedom and, and freedom to worship as you please and stuff. But you know, part of that, and ISIS envelops this, is what they call Sharia law. And basically that's what it is, is where they take religious standards and they enforce them into the laws of the land. You will do this. You will marry this way. If you do this, there will be this punishment. And we hate that idea as Americans. We think that's ridiculous. You can't do that. And as Christians, we say, unless you're gay. Oh, now, if you're, if you're gay, now, we, we can't have this, so we're going to legislate against it. We're doing the same thing those people are. We're not affecting Jesus in our society by making it against the law. You have to work from the inside out, not the outside in. And we, we need to realize that we need to be portraying Jesus to our friends. Now, again, I don't agree with that. I don't think that, that God blesses that lifestyle. But, you know, we, we can't do this. And what we've now come to confuse is the role of our church and our faith and the role of our country. And we have absolutely interlaced them into one thing. You will see that all over churches this weekend. You know, but our country is not our church. And we shouldn't expect those in the world to behave like Christians. Neither our future nor our identity are determined by what political leaders do. Y'all realize that? You realize we have a hope and a kingdom and something that is so much bigger than any government in the world, and we've reduced it into how we live today, and we've, we've allowed Satan, I believe, to take these things away from us. We have taken something that should be celebrated as our freedom to be able to go out and freely talk about Jesus Christ and who he is and the sacrifices he made for us, even though we weren't worth that sacrifice, and be able to portray that to, to our fellow, fellow men and women, the people around us. And we've taken that and we've just trashed it. We have absolutely just taken that for granted and tried to make it something it's not into. Our nation, a nation cannot be Christian as an entity. Do y'all get that? When, when back when the, the Bible talks about nations, it was talking about Israel. It wasn't talking about the United States of America. It was talking about Israel. They were a theocracy. God led them by direct intervention in their nation, unlike what we have today. Have you ever thought, even in Christian business, we talk about this. It's trying to be a Christian business person. Do you know how hard it is to balance and justify making a profit versus giving your cloak off your back to someone that needs it? It's very difficult to balance, and our nation would have the same problem. You know, to truly be a Christian nation, do you not think you'd probably pretty soon drive yourself into bankruptcy because you had given away so much out of compassion for those that were suffering, and you so want the message of Jesus Christ to be seen around the world that you'll give away everything, and we would allow our own people to live in absolute poverty if it meant getting Jesus to somebody else in the world. That's what a Christian nation would look like. We don't do that. Not that there's anything wrong with our form of government, but we don't do it that way. We can't balance that with the structure that we need to govern ourselves these days. So to say we're a Christian nation, yeah, we our founding fathers, for the most part, were Christians. And they had an idea that they didn't want to be pinned down by government in their beliefs. Just remember that. That's part of our freedom we celebrate is not legislating and telling the church what to do. And the church not telling government what to do. There was a separation put there for a reason. But you know, we still would like to have moral boundaries because where does every law that we have on the books pretty much come from? What's it founded in? Scripture. It's founded in the things we find in the Ten Commandments. All those things that, <coughs> excuse me, that we see as the foundation of the moral fabric of our country are founded out of Scripture. Had a debate with someone online this week that that um, I, I don't know who it was over here said atheist was one of the one of the the enemies of our way of life. She's an avowed atheist, and I respect her for that. I would rather her be an atheist and know it than be a Christian and be fooling herself. You get what I mean there? I would rather her have her say, I don't believe in this than to make like she does and really not. I would rather have that honesty in somebody's life. But her problem was she would not in any way believe that our moral laws in the, the fabric of our society, the things that we have made, thou shalt not kill, steal, adultery, those things, those, those many things in our country that, that we cling to, 
She couldn't believe that those came from God. She believes those are inherently human. Now, how many of you believe that inherently you're just the best person ever and you'll do no wrong? There's a few, but yeah, they, they raise their hands a little bit. Yeah, yeah, me, I, I think it's me. Oh, wait, wait, no, that's not the right answer. Yeah, how many of us really believe, and those of us that have a little age under our belts will tell you, no, I don't make the right decisions naturally. I need somebody to guide me. I need the Holy Spirit in me to guide me. So you, you've got all these things working together in this, this mix that we're seeing in, in politics and Christianity of, of who's right. You know, why is all this, this confusion? Who can be doing these things, you know? Who's responsible for all of this? There's got to be somebody to blame. Would y'all agree? Some, is, it, is it our politicians? Is it our voting populace for being too stupid to elect the right people? Uh, you know, is big money somewhere controlling our government and influence and all that? None of those are the answers, guys. All those are superficial. How many of you ever watched Saturday Night Live in its early days? Anybody remember the church lady? I know Leslie does. She's already laughing. Who did the church lady always say to blame? Who could it be now? Satan? One of the most brilliant things that Dana Carvey ever did is a skip because 99 times out of 100, he's right. That is who's to blame. And that's who's to blame for the things we've been doing. Satan has been deceiving the entire world this past week. We've been preoccupied with gay marriage and Confederate flags instead of portraying Christ to a lost world. Who besides Satan would want us to do something so stupid? We're so worried about these other things that it has taken our focus completely off of being Jesus to the world around us. And we have been engaged in debate and debate after symbols and laws and things that don't affect our church. Now, could they affect our church someday? Absolutely. Don't be naive enough to think that someday that this could not affect the church. But we're going to go into that in a little bit in the second part of this, this message this morning about how that really works. But I want you to look at this little Facebook uh, meme here. I think you'll like this one. Several of you posted this. My Facebook page looks like a battle broke out between the Confederate Army and the Skittles factory. Is that not... If, if you log on to Facebook, you will either have a rebel flag or a rainbow somewhere in your feed. Will you not? Am I telling the truth? And usually both of them. If you really want to offend people, put a rainbow-colored Confederate flag up on your page and you'll make everybody mad. There is nobody... You can argue all day long. If you're into Facebook for arguing... You will absolutely love it because people will, will engage you in conversation like you wouldn't believe. And I've been involved in some of those conversations this week. Unintentionally, people just have posted some of the dumbest things, you know. We just, we don't get it. And why we don't get it is because of Satan. Look at this verse from Revelation chapter 12. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Deceiver of the whole world and he's in our midst in this world. Do you not understand what power he has as a being? This is someone that thought he had enough power that he even went up against God Almighty himself. You know, I don't think that was just boasting and self-confidence. I think there was some power there. Obviously, he is nowhere near as great as God, but he does have power that we don't like to realize. We like to blame it on other things. This week, the prince of the power of the air, as he's called Lucifer or Satan, has deflected attention away from what may well have been a demonically influenced attack on a church and turned it into debate about Confederate battle flags and the Dukes of Hazard. That's deception, y'all. If you can take what was obviously, from everything we read about him, a mentally disturbed young man, which often may or may not have some satanic influences in it. And him going and doing an atrocious act against a group of God's people. And you believe that the Dukes of Hazard to blame? God, I don't know anybody that can deceive you that well. How many people have you heard this week or in the news or in the debate say, we really need to have better mental health care in our country and get young men like this help before they snap? How many of y'all have heard that Dukes of Hazard are racist? How many of you heard it's the Confederate flag's fault? How many of you have heard it's racism's fault? How many of you people have heard all these things? And that is deception. And it comes from our enemy. And we as Christians just dove right into it. He has engaged us in some of the silliest debates and things. And I see it all over. I had a debate with one of my friends this week about it. And just simply pointed out the exact fact that I stated there was, hey, really, 
the basis of this is Satan's influence in our world and how he makes us as Christians appear, etc. Nope. It's because the, the state of Alabama refused to remove the Confederate flag from their capital. Oh, bull. That's what frustrates me, and I've seen Christian leaders do this, and we're going to look at some examples of that here in a minute, is Christian leaders who will, just like a politician, will piggyback a crisis to up their social media rep and their influence in the world. Does that frustrate any of y'all? Have you seen it? Aggravates me to death to see people that should be taking this opportunity. If you have enough of a stage to reach tens of thousands up to millions of people, don't waste it on trivial crap like that. You've got an audience that you can talk about Jesus and what he's done for us. Man, why aren't you talking about that? Because Satan is so deceptive. He's even deceived our leaders. The American way often looks very much the opposite of the way of the cross. Following Jesus requires us to be self-sacrificing and more concerned for others than ourselves. Not exactly values we've seen demonstrated this week. Some of you may have... How many of you got to read my blog this week? I'll put you on the spot. Hey, both of you, good. <laughs> that's, that's about typical for us in, in readership of our blogs. But this week, and good, because now I won't feel bad about rehashing something I wrote in my blog and preaching it on Sunday morning, because I thought it was important enough that you guys get this message... This week I wrote about pride and what it does to us as Christians. And that is the root of much of this. What we say and do as Christians does matter, and pride is often our downfall. How many people have you seen as we go into these debates, whatever, if it's about gay marriage, if it's about the Confederate flags, about racism, guns, whatever it might be, those are the hot topics of the week. Whoever is presenting their topic is convinced they are 100% correct and you have no voice in it. Have you seen it? I've seen it all week long. I see it all the time. So what is this pride we're talking about? I like this definition. Let's take a look at what it means. Pride is a higher inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority, whether as cherished in the mind or as displayed in bearing conduct, etc. I think I actually skipped the slide there, but... I've kind of talked about it, so you're okay. But this, this type of pride, the Bible condemns this. Look at these words in this definition. You should know as a Christian that this kind of pride is wrong. A high opinion of your own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority. Does that sound like what Jesus did? Did he come out and say, I'm superior to you? I'm higher intellect than you? You know, what I say means more than what you think? Even though all those things would have been absolutely true, he never did anything but appears a humble servant to everyone who was around. And that's our model of how we should be acting. We shouldn't be acting out of pride. Look, I'm down in Philippians. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Oh, gosh, that that sounds horrible. (laughs) You ever heard the term swallowing your pride? It's where that comes from. Or scriptures like this that tell us, this is the way it's supposed to be. We are supposed to put others' feelings... Now, we don't compromise the gospel. I've seen both extremes, and there seems to be so little common sense in the middle of these values. On the one extreme, you go and you say, I don't want to talk to you people, You, and it's them. You ever notice whoever you're talking It's them. I don't want to talk to them gay people because they're all going to hell because they have, have absolutely ignored God's work. And our country's in trouble because of them. Or on the other side, you have people that have compromised the Christian value of marriage and what it really means and says, well, it's all okay because Jesus loves us all. There's no common ground of standing and speaking. What does the Bible call it? Speaking what? The truth in love. You can tell people what the Bible says without being a jerk about it. We've talked about that before here. You can absolutely go out and say these things but do them in a loving manner. Now, even in a loving manner, somebody that is prideful and is convinced their side is right, they may shut you completely down, but at least you know in doing that that you did it the way Jesus would want you to do it. And that's what I'll encourage you this morning is to know how Jesus would do it. But listen to this statement here. I've seen a lot of Christians posting on social media about their rights. The truth is many of us are confusing rights with opinions and preferences. The reality is that in our sinful nature... 
is to not like being told when we might be wrong. Our pride begins to creep in. We think we're important. Not only is this type of thinking harmful to those around us who we are supposed to be examples to, but it's the very thing that caused Satan to be cast out of heaven. You realize we've got the same sin that caused one of the most beautiful angels in heaven to be cast out was because of pride. Listen to what the verse in Isaiah says. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, and I will make myself like the most high. I have seen, as Christians, this happen over and over this week. You know, Satan's desire to be on the same level of God is what caused him to be cast down. And we are doing the same thing when we say that it's because of our opinion or what our belief is is the reason you need to do this or that. When we come out and make such a statement as that and are prideful in it and saying, I know I'm right and you're not equal to me, but I'm going to kindly share some of my knowledge and wisdom with you so that your life can be better. That is exactly the type of sin that Satan had. We're pretending to know that we're God. Christians not like to not only fill the role of judge, we also want to be the jury and the executioner. Have y'all seen that? One of the things that I saw online was one of the Christian leaders that I know was talking about um, the gentleman that, and I'm going to call him a gentleman because God loves him. The man that shot at the church in South Carolina. You know God loves him as much as he does any of us here this morning? His sin separates him from fellowship with God, but I don't know the condition of the man's heart. I don't know his mental capabilities. I don't know anything about that. But I do know when I see Christians come out and say, I hope he gets the death penalty and I hope he gets it quick. That's not like Jesus. That's godless, absolutely. That's making us the jury and the executioner in believing that the best thing... Do you think that's the best thing that could happen to society is for every every person that's a murderer to be put to death? How many of y'all think that's the best thing? Every murder, if you commit murder immediately, you're sent out and you're killed. Well, number one, it won't stop crazy people from doing crazy things. I can tell you that from people I've counseled and know and experienced. People that have mental illness, laws and things are meaningless to them. They don't get the concept. It doesn't stop that kind of criminal behavior. It doesn't stop those atrocities from happening. But the other thing about it is, you know, when you start looking at this, people are going to do those things anyway. We, we can't make laws to keep it from happening, but we need to deal with the people when it does. So in this example, this, this, this young man, and he is a young man. He's very young. What was he, 20? Somewhere in there in his early 20s, a very young man. He has 50, 60 years of life left in him. So we're saying that as far as the, let's, let's, think, let's think bigger than justice in the United States and revenge and pain for what we've done in an eye for an eye. Think about God's kingdom, that kingdom that's above all the world, that kingdom that means everything that, that what we're supposed to be wrapped up in. What will help God's kingdom more? To put that man to death as, as an example or for him to turn his life over to Jesus Christ and witness to every person he meets and tell them how wonderful God is and that he extends his grace even to me, a murderer who killed God's own children and God saved me. Which is the better outcome for that guy? Exactly. Don hit where I was going. Ask Paul. Do you know if the apostle Paul, when he was known as Saul, he was consenting to the death of all kinds of Christians. They were stoned to death. If God had treated Saul like we want to treat people through justice and, and our such desire to see justice done, do you know that the Gentiles wouldn't have received the word of God? Now, I think God had a bigger plan than that. If, I think God would have circumvented that. But if we had treated Paul like that, he wouldn't have existed. We would have said, you're a murderer, you've got to go. Now, do we need laws and rules in our society to keep things? Yeah. If you go back and look at the Old Testament, God had lots of laws about things. God was trying to keep his people pure and keep them together. And a lot of that Old Testament law was based on that to help them actually survive. And we do need some structure in law. But you know what? Why don't we look towards grace sometimes instead of so much of the law? You know what What my experience has been? We want the law to apply to who? Everybody but us. I don't want that law. I don't want that judgment to come down on me. I want that law to apply to somebody else. If I've got a, if 
brothers and sisters in the household. If I do something bad, I want that law to apply to my sibling and not me, right? Oh, don't, be, don't be coming and condemning me for that. You know, it's okay if you get with them. And that, that's what it's all about. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, we are so bad as Christians today. And I swear it's social media that's doing it. If you can't resist, maybe you need to get off of it. Because I have seen Christians ruining their testimony online on a daily basis. If you can't handle it, maybe that's just a temptation that Satan's put out there to trip you up. Maybe you need to give it up because there's not a lot of value in it, guys. You know, I'll post occasionally, and we use blogs and electronic media and things, and I will try and sometimes go in and put a rational comment in somewhere, especially if I see Christians who I think are hurting themselves and try and go in and intervene a bit and make it and, and just, you know, try and save them from themselves. You know what, guys, it really doesn't work most of the time. It never works. It's, it's so frustrating to try and say, but that doesn't mean we should always give up trying. But if you're tempted to go in there and misuse things, don't do it. That's just, that's just as a people, as God's people say, if I can't say something that positively re- reflects on Jesus Christ, in everything I do, I'm just not going to do it. Like your mama said, if you can't say something good, don't say nothing at all. Maybe that's the, the, the approach that we need to take as Christians. I mean, it is so ridiculous this week. Here's an example. President Obama sings Amazing Grace and conservative Christians demonize him by saying his transgressions will not be forgiven. Yeah. At the, the funeral service there in South Carolina, they tied politically Obama singing Amazing Grace with the decision of the Supreme Court to allow gay marriage in the United States and said that was Obama's fault and God will punish him and he will not go to heaven because of that. Wow. That's, that's really, that's really, I mean, my goodness. If you, if, what if people judged your life like that? How would you like to be that? You know what? I saw what you said about those people. I know what you're thinking about them. You're not going to heaven because of that because God's not going to forgive that. We're, we're, Again, that's that pride creeping in. Here we are. We're putting ourselves up on the same level as God Almighty and saying who's getting to go to heaven and who's not, and it's because of a political decision they made. Do you know why he made that decision? I don't know. I don't agree with it. The Supreme Court made it. I hope they reverse it. I don't think it's healthy for America. I don't think it's healthy for the church. I don't think it's healthy for anyone. But doggone it, President Obama's not going to hell because of it. I mean, I I don't know how to put it any other way to you. Our path to heaven or hell is based on our belief in Jesus Christ, his sacrifice for our sins, and our belief in that, that our transgressions are covered by his sacrifice, period. So if you don't think the president screws up, God, he, he's just human. He's like the rest of us. And here was a moment that should have been, and I will guarantee you, had he been a white Republican president, we would be talking about the wonderful display of God's God's son that he put on by singing Amazing Grace in that church. That's exactly what we've done because we have gotten politics and Christianity so interfused and confused that we can't even commend a man for doing what may have been on his heart is the right thing to do. Maybe he's struggling with that decision. Have you ever considered that? He's struggling with it and he's saying, God, you're a grace. I need your grace today. I don't know if that's the right decision they made. I don't know how to lead from this. I feel one way because of the, you know, if you don't have friends that are struggling with sin, it's really hard for you to sympathize, okay? If you don't have people that are attracted to the same sex, if you don't have people that are atheists in your life, if you don't have people that don't believe just like you do, it's very hard to be empathetic with them at times. And that's where the rubber beats the road for me in this decision with the president is I, I believe he has people that are attracted to the same sex in his life. And he knows them. And he doesn't want to hurt them. And he's in between here trying to figure out what to do as the leader of the country and as a Christian man what to do. And all we want to do is demonize every decision he makes. And that is not our role as the church to come out and do that. We should be praying for him. We should say we don't agree with this based on the Bible, but we love you and we're going to be in heaven with you one day and God's going to straighten it all out for us. How about that? Nobody wants to say that though because we're so steeped in our own opinion of what's, what's going on. Now, here's the next biggie that I've seen this week and we're kind of coming to a close here. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting all kinds of things here because it's been such a sporadic week of things we've done. 
How many of you have heard this week that our nation is going to be judged because of gay marriage? I've heard that all of, because the Supreme Court allowed this, God is going to bring judgment upon our nation. I guess so far he's overlooked abortion. He's overlooked, you know, fornication, adultery, marriage and divorce. All those things God was cool with, but you gays, you are the final straw. Really? And all those others that I mentioned are being, are being done by his church. Not the world, not the government, not things outside the church. The church is marrying, divorcing, sleeping around, doing all these things that God absolutely says he's condemned. And yet, it's a decision by our government that's going to condemn us. I'm telling you, that condemnation doesn't come from what a godless government does. It comes from what Christians don't do. It comes, if you look throughout Scripture, when God was on the children of Israel, it wasn't because of governmental decisions, because they had turned their back on him as a Christian people, not because of what they were doing as a government. And we need to get that in mind. But I have seen so many of these things about it. Look at this. And these are leaders I'm talking about taking advantage of the situation. And the first one here kind of goes along with this. I overheard this at, at, the, at one of the Independence Day celebrations. This is our solution now. This is how, how, how in-depth thinking we Christians are. This will solve all the problems. Is them people need to read their Bible. Really? Them people, meaning gay people, need to read their Bibles. Maybe us Christians need to read our Bibles too. <laughs> Maybe we should start there. Maybe if we got into God's Word and learned a little bit more about what He says, and I don't think this is in the notes, but I do want to include this because this is, this is to be is an important part in this whole topic this week. We are so wrapped up in it. Again, Satan is so deceiving us in the way we're doing it. I have heard over and over that that gay marriage day, that is that gay marriage day, that is an abomination to God. How many of you? Abomination, abomination. That's an abomination to God. You know what else God says is an abomination to him? Pride. We're right there in the same thing. When we make those statements, we are absolutely exposing ourselves to God's wrath the same way the people we're condemning are. And we are so blind that we don't see it. We just ignore it. We just look at it like, well, it's okay because why I'm on God's side. If I'm on God's side, he's on my side and I'm right and you're wrong. Golly, people. I mean, I see it all the time and it frustrates me. I hope you can see how frustrated I am over it. To see good, well-meaning Christian people just absolutely shooting themselves in the foot every time they open their mouth. Franklin Graham. Here's a quote from him. And I like Franklin Graham. I think he has done a great job of turning his life around and sharing the gospel. Until recently, he's become a politician. Don't know what happened, but listen to this. The Supreme Court of the United States has ruled today that same-sex marriage is legal in all 50 states. With all due respect to the court, it did not define marriage and therefore is not entitled to redefine it. I agree with that. I pray God will spare America from his judgment, though, by our actions as a nation. We give him less and less reason to do so. Another warning. Churches and faith-based businesses should prepare for lawsuits and government investigations. Pastors who refuse to perform gay marriages and preach from the Bible should prepare for hate crime charges. All dissent will be silenced by the government and the activists. Really? So now we're going to do fear-mongering to get you Christians <laughs> to straighten up. If you don't do... If you don't get out here and defeat this legislation, you're going to be punished and persecuted for it. Really? We're going to use fear now as a motivational tool. And yes, there's some truth in those statements, but it's the context in which it's used. It's the context of trying to politically motivate Christians to do something where we're working for a kingdom that's not of this world. Quit worrying about the worldly kingdom. But here, yet another from Perry Stone Ministry. Judges rejected the decision on gay marriage and gave strong warnings. Scalia said it was a threat to democracy. Agree with that. Alito stated the decisions will be used to oppress the faithful. I agree with that. For those who are determined to stamp out every vestige of dissent, the gay community announced that they are going after all social conservatives. I don't know that I saw that anywhere. Conservative leaders say to get ready for harassment and persecution. Franklin Graham just said it. Christians are now exiles in their own country. These are the days of Lot, and the end result when people of Sodom become violent against believers will be the destruction of entire cities by fire, volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, droughts, and other forms of judgment. Sounds like Pat Robertson, doesn't he? As the breach in the covenant has occurred, remember my message from Friday night? 
I would not be surprised to see something shocking within 90 days as we move towards the Schmitha cycle this fall. I will only say more about this subject if God gives me prophetic insight or a vision of what is coming and how to respond. Repost to as many as possible to intercede for revival. This when does fear bring revival in the United States? Do you know what Jesus says to all this? He says, so what? You know what? I, I really, now I don't speak, unlike Perry, Jesus and I don't have that type of conversation where he reveals all these things to me that are going to happen. And if you don't straighten up, you know, because God knows me too well, I would be seeing things like, God has given me this vision. If you do not give all of your half, half of your income to Journey Church this week, terrible destruction is going to fall on your household. Hey, if you're going to go, go big or go home is what I say. If you're going to lie and, tell, and say God's telling you to say these things, hey, go, go big, guys, and, and make it good. You know, and Perry Stone is a brilliant Old Testament scholar. I wish he would just use that ability to show us what was going on and how that relates to us. Instead of making all these things about fear, what's going to have, you know, is fear of persecution going to bring true revival to our United States? Yeah, persecution is what's going to bring real revival when it really happens to us. But the fear of it is not going to do anything. You know, these are things that are only threats to earthly kingdoms and not God's kingdom. I hope you're getting that today. I want you to think about not the United States, not Great Britain, not Iran, not Syria, not any Israel, not any of these nations. Jesus came and set up a kingdom that is above all those because he realized that those kingdoms don't work to get his word out to his people and to the people of the world. He realized there is no way that this can be done through a man-made kingdom. There's a kingdom of God of this world. You know, look at these things that we opened up with. The life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Three things that God never promises. Y'all realize that? We say that these were, were, were things endowed as self-evident by our Creator. Where does he say that in the Bible? If our Creator said it, it ought to be in the good book, shouldn't it? Where does he say you have the right to lie? I think it tells us to give up our life, to be willing to give up our life. What did Paul say? Dying is gain. Giving my life for Christ is gain. So we don't have the right to life. That's pretty obvious. Liberty, we're slaves to Christ. We've discussed that before. We owe everything we have to him, and we are his slave and should be doing what he says. We're not free to do whatever we want. As Christians, we have to line up with what God's purposes are. And then the final one, pursuit of happiness. Do you know how much that has cost Christians pursuing happiness? Do you know how much that has cost us as God's people? It's pursuing something. God never guaranteed us happiness. How many people have you seen in the Bible that walked around just, well, I would say rainbows and sunshine. I can't even say this this week. How many people walk around just in this, this euphoria of I'm so happy because God is, and, and life is just wonderful. How many, how many people in the Bible do you see say that? I mean, really, nobody in, in scriptures is that because God has a different value system. He says, Look in Psalms. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you think that's cars, houses, jobs, prestige? Do you think that's any of those things? If those are the desires of your heart, that means you're not really on the same frequency that God is. You're kind of out here on the side somewhere listening to the static. And when you get tuned into God, we will only be truly happy when our heart's desires align with God. His ideas of being blessed are very different from the American dream of what life through the pursuit of happiness looks like. God's ideas of being blessed, and I'll frankness, scare me to death most of the time. I, I'm thinking, I don't know that I want to be blessed. I mean, you know, let's, let's look at this Job. You remember the story of Job? Here's Job going, rocking along in life a fantastic example of a Christian man living in the world. He is doing what God would have him to do. And so Satan comes up and he says, that's your servant Job over there. I bet if I mess with him enough, I can get him to deny you and curse you. God says, okay, go for it. God, I thought you had my back here. You're going to let Satan come head on against me. You know what? Because God's kingdom is bigger than our kingdom. It's bigger than my life and your life. And if he can use us in a way 
that we don't necessarily get happiness out of it, he will frankly do it because it's about his kingdom and his purpose, not ours. But listen to what he does with Job. He said, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Well, first of all, that means God's on your case. That doesn't sound like fun. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Anybody like discipline here? No. For he wounds, but he binds up. Oh, so now he's going to wound me and then fix me up. He's going to shatter me, but he's going to heal me. He will deliver you from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he will redeem you from death. I just assume not have famine, okay? In war and from the power of the sword, he's going to deliver me from those things. You shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue and shall not fear destruction when it comes. Notice he didn't say destruction wasn't going to come. He said just you won't fear it. At destruction and famine, you shall laugh and you shall not fear the beasts of the earth. For you shall be in league with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is at peace and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. You shall know also that your offspring shall be many and your descendants is the grass of the earth. You shall come to your grave in ripe old age like a sheaf gathered up in its season. Behold, this we have searched out as true. Hear and know it for your good. Gosh, I don't know if I want to live to a ripe old age if I'm going to go through war and famine and all these things. You know, that's God's idea of being happy is when you can go through these circumstances and laugh in the face of it because you know that the things that your enemy is bringing against you are never successful and that God is in control. Satan is a defeated enemy. Jesus defeated him on the cross, and the only power he has is that which we allow him to have in our lives. you know what a difference that would make in the church today if we really, truly acted upon that belief that, hey, it doesn't matter what happens. Jesus is saying, so what? My kingdom's bigger than this. My goal is like John the Baptist to tell you, repent, Jesus is coming. That's what the church should be doing. Repent, Jesus is coming. You know what? If you don't want to repent, it's not repent or I'll get and I'll write my congressman and we'll make a law and make you repent. Really? That's not what we're trying to do. It's repent because it's the thing to do. That's the sign that you're turning towards Jesus and his answer for your life. Listen to this final one from Matthew. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We are so wrapped up in being in control in our country, in our community, and things. We have forgotten that we are supposed to be reaping rewards and benefits, not here, but there. And that's what God has in store for us. That's when he says, bless. We know having famine is not going to be a good thing for us. We know being persecuted for our beliefs is not a good thing for us. We see all these things, and God says, when you go through them, look at just laugh about it and say, it doesn't matter because I'm going to do what Jesus wants to do because I know my reward's not in this world. It's a very easy thing to say, but it's hard to do when you're going through it. And I absolutely understand it. We all have trials and stress in our lives and things that, that are put on us. Mark talked about that a little bit last week, I think. Uh, God won't put more on you than you can handle. Oh, yeah, he will. And he'll expect you to lean on him during that time. And that's where your happiness and blessings are coming from is when you do that. So all this gloom and doom about persecution is going to come on us or whatever. Yeah, Jesus says, bring it. Bring it on. Go ahead. It's not going to hurt my kingdom. If my people will listen to my word, they're going to be blessed through this persecution, and they're going to be gaining rewards for the afterlife. They're going to be blessed. They're going to be happy in what they do because they realize there's a bigger picture. And you know what? Those people that they see as their enemies, they're going to love them because that's what I told them to do. It's very hard to love people sometimes that don't agree with you. Who you think are threatening the very fabric, the foundation of what you believe. You know, they're, they're a threat to our way of life. Jesus didn't say loving your enemy was conditional. If they weren't attacking his church or you personally or whatever. Love your enemies. And that's what he said. You know what? This is where it really gets sticky and gets hard. What happens when Christians become your enemies? What happens when you see people portraying the name of Christ 
and they're not doing it in a Christ-like manner. Man, that's hard. That's hard. That's where persecution from your, from within sometimes happens. But guys, it's worth it because Jesus says it's worth it. He paid a price for all of us. And he didn't pay that price lightly. He paid that price for us to do the right thing, and he expects that of us. And I've just seen so much this week. It's just been on my heart that you know what we say and do as Christians in the world, it truly does matter. What you post on your web page, man, you never know who is looking or who will react. I have seen things where I have, I have posted things, and I tell you, I'm careful these days about what I post. I will sit there and I will rehash it and think, is this what God would say in this situation, and is it done out of love and not frustration and hate? And if I can't post it like that, walk away. No matter how much pride tells me, I know I'm right and I have a better answer than them. If I can't do it in a way I think is left, and some people won't accept the love. Some people will absolutely shut you down and say, you're just trying to cram religion down my throat. Really? I mean, saying that the laws of our land were based on biblical values, is is that an affront to somebody? Some people it is. They're that hardened against God and, and so don't believe in him. And that's fine. But that mutual respect is what I see lacking in our country. It is absolutely fine to stand up. If we could, you know, it's utopia because it's not going to happen. But if we had a nation that truly was Christian and we could we could act as a group through our government to influence the world for Jesus Christ and use our wealth and power as a means, as a channel for distributing the gospel, golly, what a great thing that would be. Do you think if we took the entire, if we were truly a Christian nation is defined in the Bible. It took all the resources of America. We could evangelize the entire world if we were right as Christians. But we could take all those resources, all that power, all the influence that we have in the world, and if we used it the way we tend to like to use it, we would be absolutely ineffective at reaching anyone for Christ because they would see it as a power play. as you telling me what to do. Just as ISIS is rolling through the Middle East, we would just be the next great Satan over there rolling through and telling people, this is what you have to believe. They have to see it from the inside out. We can't, politicians can't affect it, preachers can't affect it. The only person that can affect any of this change that we would like to see in our world and in our country is Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit, and that is an inside out working to the gospel. It doesn't happen any other way. Not saying that we give up and we don't portray the gospel in society, that we don't speak to those because we, we, we realize there are people lost without Christ, and we want them to find him. But there's such a fine line these days of crossing over, of compromising your beliefs versus being a loving, concerned Christian. And we've got to walk that line, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how tired we get of it, no matter how frustrated we become with it. That is what's expected of us as Christians. God never said it'd be an easy path. Sometimes we're opposed to even our friends. Golly, just let Jesus Christ work through your life in these situations and don't get so hung up on the details of it. You know, I'm sad this week. I've really seen some things that disappointed me from the Christian community, from the political community, from every community. You know, frankly, it kind of looks like we're all thrown in this big mix and the only thing that matters to each one of us is our own opinion and what we want to see done. There's no compromise. I'm not saying compromise the gospel, but I'm saying have an intelligent conversation with somebody with some compassion. If you've never been in their shoes or never known anyone like them, it's really easy to hate them. It's really easy to take God's love and turn it into something condemning and something that it, instead of the thing that it's meant to be, the light of the world. Yeah, we're supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to shed light on these situations and love. And I'm telling you, if you can't sit down and fellowship with someone who doesn't believe like you, you will never be an effective witness to God. Because people all over, including within our church, don't believe the same we do. And if you can't find some common ground, somehow to do it, whatever it does, you know, we've got people here that do all kinds of crazy ministries. Motorcycles, I do cars, we do these things. You know why we do that? I can go out amongst a bunch of car guys, the biggest argument will be import versus domestic Ford Chevy. That would be the most passionate debate we have because we all love cars and we've found that common ground. And I can flow Jesus Christ through those conversations with ease because we're not worried about politics in those situations. And you will find 
that if you will look for those common ground situations as a Christian, you know, you will find it. Don't go to don't go to a protest rally somewhere and expecting to be Jesus to people. If people are over here protesting for their rights and this side's protesting against them, you are not going to be effective with either one because they're they're there because they're convinced their pride is convinced them that they're absolutely right. And the only way is to make my my voice louder than the other person. I encourage you maybe to just take it down a notch in that public voice if you need to and get down underneath the surface and get to know people and love them and love them for who they are and respect them. Jesus tells us in Scripture, I think it's in Peter, First uh, or Second Peter, I'm not sure where, but he tells us that with gentleness and respect is how we are a witness to the world around us. And don't expect a lost world and politicians to act like Christians. It's not going to happen, guys. I don't care how much you vote, how much you do. If you don't have Christ living in your heart and you're doing everything to portray him in the world, you can't affect that. You can't affect the world. And God never told us to. God specifically tells us to clean up our own house first and let him judge the world that's outside of the church. Now, it's our duty to influence those people and bring them into the church but while they're outside of the church, they're lost. They don't have the guidance we have. We can't expect them to act as Christians would. So please remember that as, as you're having conversations with those around you. Remember the love that Jesus has for them, just like he does us. Our abomination requires just as much grace and blood of Christ as theirs do. And I want you to remember that this morning. Guys, when you come back to the closing song, pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, this opportunity, Lord, to, to bring your word. I, I pray the Spirit will work in our hearts this week, God, because it's not my intention to condemn us as Christians or the church or politicians or, or same-sex couples or anyone, God. It's just that I would so desire to see the love of Jesus portrayed in our communities and for him to do and be seen as who he is and the compassion that he has and the sacrifice that he made, God. I just pray that those things will, will be seen and be seen as Christians, God, be seen as vessels for him and that, that God that will will be but we know we'll be besmirched we know we'll be in some ways persecuted we know we will be misunderstood but we know there's a larger kingdom at stake God and all that is worth the risk to be Jesus to our community God and I just pray that Journey Church will be seen as the light in our community and Jesus to those that don't know him and I pray in your son's name